0: Welcome to Markets Plus, where leading experts from across BMO discuss factors shaping the markets, economy, industry sectors, and much more. Visit bmocm.com slash markets plus for more episodes. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries.
1: Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Dave Casper, U.S. CEO at BMO Financial Group. And welcome to today's event. We all feel a bit of a shift in the economic environment. Uh, Record high inflation, increased labor costs, continued fight for talent. And the Fed and the Bank of Canada repeatedly raising rates, trying to prevent a recession. What we're also seeing is a stellar job growth and uh, great stock market performance in one month off the next. Pretty volatile, I would say, at the least. And the real question is, are we heading towards a recession? That's the question today. Every industry is different. Every business is different. We have businesses uh, representing all across uh, both countries today. Uh, Understanding the economic context will be very important for everyone. And to that end, we have three of our experts today to give us that context. I'm really excited to introduce, for the first time in a BMO event, one of our newest colleagues, Scott Anderson who's based in our San Francisco office, the chief economist at Bank of the West, and he joined BMO's economic team after our acquisition of Bank of the West, which happened February 1st. And we have two of our mainstays on the call today as well. Earl Davis, head of fixed income and money markets at BMO Global Asset Management. Earl's going to explain what the Fed and the Bank of Canada are doing to get us out of the inflation spiral and his perspective and if he thinks they will be successful. And the world famous, and my great friend, Brian Belsky, chief investment strategist at BMO Capital Markets. Brian will talk to us about how the markets are performing despite some of these economic headwinds. Scott, let's get started right away with you. Again, welcome to BMO. Help us understand, Scott, some of the macroeconomic conditions that we're working through right now and what you expect in the near term.
2: Well, first, uh, thank you, uh, David, for that warm welcoming, for joining me to BMO today. It's so great to at least virtually meet so many of my new BMO colleagues today. You know, for those aren't, that aren't familiar with my background, I've been a professional macroeconomic forecaster now for nearly 30 years. Um, and i forecasted successfully through the Great Recession, through the dot-com bubble, uh, I'd say 25 years. That time has been as a as a bank macro forecaster, um, but forecasting through this pandemic, to be quite honest with everybody on this call, it's it's been one of the most challenging of my career, maybe for economists all over the country, including at the Federal Reserve. Um, we saw, you know, just to give you a sense of where we've been over the past two and a half years, we saw. Great Depression levels of job loss in 2020. Over two months, the U.S. economy lost 22 million jobs. The unemployment rate peaked at 14.7%. It looked very, very dire. Then, of course, um, the U.S. government came in with close to $5 trillion in total of fiscal COVID support. Um, the Federal Reserve more than doubled their balance sheet from $4 trillion to $9 trillion. Uh, with all kinds of credit facilities that that came in. So here we are, fast forward to two years later, we're witnessing one of the fastest inflation rates in the U.S. in in more than 40 years, Uh, one of the tightest labor markets in my lifetime. You have to go back 54 years to see uh, a labor market tighter than it is today. Um, So I think where we're at today is the U.S. economy is really, and the Canadian economy for that matter, is an unfamiliar twilight of an economic and financial boom that is being rapidly cooled by both the uh, Federal Reserve and the Bank of Canada. So we're seeing very restrictive monetary policy. Um, And while we're not yet in recession, we've had some very welcome rebound in a lot of the economic indicators, both in the US and Canada, um, in January, the risk of recession, I still think, is very high for the U.S. economy, at least in 2023. I I put the probability at around 60%. So it's not a sure thing. It's not a slam dunk. I I put about 50% probability that it's going to be a mild recession by historical standards. We're we're looking at something like a 0.8% decline in GDP, peak to trough, and and maybe a loss of a million jobs uh, with an unemployment rate in the U.S. moving up from about 3.4% up to uh, a peak in the first quarter of 2024, about 4.8%. Um, but we're not there yet. And, you know, it looked pretty bad uh, in the fourth quarter of last year. We really ended on a weak note uh, in the U.S. economy. Uh, we actually had a decline in real consumer spending in both November and December so that consumer Growth engine that we've seen throughout the pandemic really seemed to stall out, and it looked like a recession might be imminent, uh, even starting as soon as the first quarter this year. Uh, but the strong January data have definitely put, pushed back uh, recession forecasts, including us. We, we, we thought we'd have a mild contraction in GDP in the first quarter. Now it looks like it won't really start to contract till the second quarter at the earliest, and it might even be the third quarter. The real surprise here is just the resilience and strength and one, the tight labor market, as as Dave alluded to, um, and continue to see stellar job growth numbers. Uh, January, 517,000 jobs created. We've got 11 million open positions in the United States. Initial jobless claims, at least in the early part of February, still look near historically low levels. Uh, Consumer spending Uh, jumped in January. A lot of that was due, I I would be a little careful in reading too much into that January jump of the consumer. We did have that 8.7% increase in the cost of living adjustment to Social Security. So we saw a really huge jump in rural disposable incomes in January. It actually grew at an 18% pace. And of course, a lot of that income growth was spent in January. It was up 14.5%. We saw a nice jump in light vehicle sales, for example, a couple of other things I think that played in the strong January numbers, we have, we have seasonal adjustment, possible issues because of the mild winter. We saw both for January, both in the US and in Canada. And as, as uh, Dave alluded to, we had a real strong stock market performance in January. So we saw loosening financial conditions, interest rates were falling, mortgage rates dropped from 7.3%. Uh, for the three-year fixed-rate mortgage in November, down to about uh, 3.6 at the end of January. So we even saw some better news on the housing market front. And the NHB housing market index jumped seven points in, to its highest levels in September. So a lot of mixed signals there, a, a real strong bounce that will probably allow GDP to be positive in the first quarter. Why I don't think it's going to last. Well, one, I think sticky services inflation. Inflation itself is quite sticky right now, and it's still higher than the Fed or, or the bank Canada kind of would like to see. So we expect continued rate hikes uh, from the Fed, at least over the next several meetings. Um, my own forecast, we've got three quarter point rate hikes in March, May, and June. Um, we think quantitative tightening is gonna continue all this year, uh, shrinking the Fed's balance sheet by a tune of 95 billion a month. Um, and this one-time income gain that we saw in January isn't going to be repeated. The, the final point I'd make is, is just on the credit side. We do think monetary tightening is starting to bite some of the real economy. Where we see that showing up, there's a little bit on the bank side. If you look at the Fed's latest senior loan officer survey data, uh, banks are tightening credit now across the board in almost all their uh, loan portfolios. Um, and we're seeing loan demand weaken too, and even in the multifamily sector space, and even in credit cards that had been really, really strong uh, late last year, are starting to show some signs of weakness too. So um, there are some more traditional measures we look at. Uh, you know, they look at the Conference Board's leading economic indicators. It's been headed in one direction down over the past ten months um, since really the Fed started hiking interest rates. Uh, it's been down negative in eleven of the past thirteen months. And it's in recession territory, so that tends to suggest a recession in the next three uh, to six months. Um, we've also got a highly inverted yield curve. If you look at the 10 year, three month treasury spread, it's, it's highly negative. Um, that's been a good financial market indicator of recession, um, usually turning negative on average about uh, 11 months before recession starts, and that inverted in November. So the timing of this recession is not set in stone. You know, there is a chance we get off with a, a fairly soft landing, but I think most of the indicators still point to, to a recession ahead. had. I, the final thing I'd mention is maybe the housing market side, but we're definitely in a housing recession. You know, We've had six months now of negative home price growth, housing starts, sales are down you know, 30 40% in most markets. Um, We've never had a housing recession and we haven't ended up eventually in a US recession. So, I, I guess I'd sum up on the recession call with a fairly mild recession, maybe a two quarter recession starting in the second quarter. You know, looking at peak to crop decline of minus 0.8% and an unemployment rate peak of around 4.8. So, it's not a great recession call. It's not anything like we've seen. In past recessions, we're going from a boom um, to maybe a bust because of the tightening of monetary policy. I, I did want to say a couple of things before we move on, a little bit on the inflation front. Um, we have seen some positive developments on inflation. I'll, I'll mention a couple of them here. Uh, but January's inflation data was, was disappointing, both on the consumer side and on the producer side. Um, First, the good news, we are seeing container prices dropping, supply chain pressures are easing. If you look at the Fed's global supply chain index, um, it's not back to normal, but it's gone from a a tightening of four standard deviations to maybe one standard deviation. We've seen energy prices dropping, retail gas prices are still down about 33% from the peak, Um, container prices from China, the West Coast of the US. Long Beach, L.A. Uh, are down about 94% from the peak in, in 2021. Um, and we're still seeing uh, really early commodity price declines. Some the big, broad commodity price indexes are down about 23% from the peak. And just over the past month, we've seen continued declines in lumber prices, aluminum, copper, and you know, even oil. So we are starting; you know, we're still seeing those, those uh, pressures easing but it's going to be a slog and it's not going to be a one direction thing and you know one thing we've we've noticed now from the January data is the service sector inflation remains quite hot in January still running at about 8% in overall services inflation housing inflation we are seeing rents starting to come down but housing inflation is still going up and in the rent component of CPI it continues to go up and is still rising at about a 10% pace on an annual basis so it's easing, but it's too early for the Fed to uh, declare victory here. I do think inflation is going to be lower at the end of the year than it was at the start of this year. We think CPI inflation in the US will be closer to 3, 3.3% at the end of the year. Uh, Core PC, which is the Fed's preferred measure of inflation, subtracting out food and energy, uh, maybe around 36 from a start of around 48 so we're being we're in a much better position a year from now, but it won't be until really the end of twenty twenty four before the Fed will be approaching their their two percent medium term target on on prices. So, in a nutshell, Dave is is kind of how we see things here in uh, in San Francisco.
1: Hey uh, Scott, thank you. Very very thorough and uh, very helpful. Let me a uh, it, couple things. I I, I note that we have, our speakers are everywhere. You're in San Francisco. I think Brian's in New York. Uh, We have uh, Toronto uh, and we have, I'm in Chicago. Your comment about rents. uh, I don't know that they're going down in New York. I was there recently and they're going the other direction. San Francisco, they probably are going down, I assume. Um, That's not my question. That's just a, uh, my question really is back to labor. You talked about labor. Our, Our clients our sense is our clients over the last couple of months have taken the foot off the gas a little bit the, the sense of urgency to make sure that they get every higher end they can uh, before the next kid quits that seems to be lessened. I just really looking at what you're predicting, you're predicting unemployment going up to close to five even the four high four is that where you were? Four point eight yep yeah. four point eight. About a year from now, yeah. And how far? How many years out?
2: And about a year, I think. Okay. So I do think we'll see some net job loss this year, um, but it's going to. be The timing is somewhat uns- uncertain because of this lingering strength that we're seeing. Uh, as you know, we still have 11 million open positions in the United States. Uh, jobless claims at this point aren't showing a lot of uh, layoffs occurring outside of a few. Here in the Bay Area and Silicon Valley, it's been really a drop in the bucket. And, uh, you know, we're seeing some weakening in financial services, hiring and a few other places, but it's still broad-based job growth. So, yeah, I mean, this is sort of an unfamiliar territory here going from this boom situation. It's just I think if they don't get the the, uh, loosening of the labor market the Fed is looking for, they're going to have to push even harder dave and that's the thing is that the fed you know the more resilience we see in inflation the more resilience we see in the labor market the more the fomc median is going to go up and expect to, to hike rates even further this, I think.
1: well we'll be we'll be watching it carefully so uh thanks scott uh, so we've seen the fed and the bank of canada trying to get this under control as you just talked i'm going to hand it over to earl i think earl is in toronto today uh, to talk about some of the monetary policy changes, and give him um, have him give us his view of, as to whether it's enough. So, Earl, over to you.
3: Good afternoon, everyone, and uh, thank you, Dave. Um, I do have to say, I've been in fixed income market since 1994, and it's the first time uh, I've been described as a mainstay as a presenter. So, the five five minutes of um, fixed income fame from 2022—some would say infamy has extended out to 2 years now but nonetheless let's let's talk about monetary policy and uh and and bonds 10 year bonds you know they're testing 4% today which is a big number in in the US but starting with the monetary policy it, it it's interesting uh, you know I look at 2023 is a as a year of easy hikes so to speak you know trying to catch up with inflation we saw the big numbers the fed had to get more restrictive 2024 now is a year of hard hikes and the reason why it's the year of hard hikes is, is twofold. One is the Fed has to take into account the lagged impact of the hikes of last year. Typically, it takes 18 months for those to flow through the market. So we haven't seen the full impact. But yet, on the other hand, we have the resiliency of both the economy and inflation. And these are things that are, are, are the, the Fed is trying to balance in regards to um, what to do next, uh, how much to hike. And let, let me walk through why they're hiking. Um, when the Fed hikes, what it, and, and Central and Bank of Canada, what it does, it reduces growth because the funding costs for businesses are higher. So you have less businesses because you have a higher hurdle. You have less businesses, what that results in is less employment. Less employment reduces inflation two ways. One is there's less people employed, so there's less total income. Every dollar earned is a dollar possibly spent, so that's demand. And as well as it reduces the the need to increase wages, that 5% or 4% level, instead of 2%. And both these things impact inflation, but the key is to get into what they call restrictive. And restrictive means it's less growth. But what we're seeing now is resiliency. And the Fed doesn't really know if they're restrictive yet. They believe they're restrictive. But it's the data that they look at to confirm that. So we've got these one-off prints in January, right? We had strong employment, strong retail sales, uh, rebounding PCE. Those are just that one prints. So the data for um, March and April is extremely important because you get two strong prints. That's a tentative trend. And if you get three, that's a trend. So that's going to determine what our outlook for the, the terminal Fed funds rate is. The market right now Is discounting the terminal is going to be five and a half, you know, and they see that basically late summer. That will change depending on the numbers we get in March. If we get a a confirmation of the the numbers we got last month, that'll raise the expected uh, terminal rate to 575. If we get that confirmation again in April, it'll raise it to six. So people say six percent, could the economy handle that? I would actually reverse that argument. The reason why we're getting to 6% is because the economy is doing very well and there's not a lot of slack in the economy. So that's an important thing thing to remember. And I, I believe that the Fed and the bank candle will err to lower hikes rather than higher hikes, so 25 basis points instead of 50, because of that lag effect and they don't know. So we see 6% as a possible terminal, um, but now we can move to 10-year bonds. The drivers of 10-year bond rates are different than the driver of just monetary policy. You can say monetary policy is inflation driven and what the the central banks do. 10-year bond rate is definitely inflation driven. That's one component. The second component is what they call real rate driven, which is a reflection of growth, actually. So part of the way you get um, get lower growth is you increase the interest rate in 10-year bonds. So people rather invest in 10-year bonds than invest in the company. And then there's that risk that, you know what, the Fed may actually be behind the curve. So you need risk premium because there could be more inflation than expected going forward. Um, so so be- because of that, it's our it's our sense that you know, we tend to agree with the market in regards to pushing out the probability of a recession and reducing the, the probability of a recession uh, for 2023 um, because we believe the economy is more resilient. Um, so. There's a lot of credible paths here in regards to interest rates higher, interest rates lower. The one thing that will be for sure is increased uncertainty, increased um, volatility. So one of the key things to to keep in mind is that it's not just about the destination now, rates higher, rates lower. It's about the path to that. Because similar to 2022, we'll see interest rates spike higher and then spike lower. And, And these are key things to remember. Um, in regards to the path dependency of, of interest rates, um, so just just to conclude here, uh, the two key words for for fixed income this year is resiliency and volatility. Uh, we see the we see Fed funds terminal rate uh, at around fifty base, possibly up to fifty base points higher than market, so between five fifty and six percent. And we do believe that that um, this four percent ten year yield now is a very important yield. Um, if we do break it, which it seems like we will, we could easily go to four and a quarter, four and a half uh, before rebounding again. And with that, I'll uh, conclude for now.
1: Earl, I'm going to put you on the spot. You're now in Vegas. Okay, 100 basis points increase from today in interest rates. So you can pick five year, 10 year, two year. What are the chances it'd be more than 100 a year from now, or less than 100? And you can tell me. I want you to, so because I'm going to hold you to this. So I want you to tell me what what index you're taking.
3: Yeah, index you know what I've... it's it, it, it's 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 an interesting question because right now 10-year rates are 4, percent and three weeks ago they were at 3.30. I know. <laughs> they sold off by 70 basis points. So you would argue argue getting to 3% is probably easier getting to 5%. However. I do believe in the resiliency of the market, and that, um, and I won't go into the details now, but because of QE, the impact of the Fed hikes is, is being blunted. So I do believe that the economy could be very resilient and surprised to the upside this year, which means, uh, you know what, I think we see the 5% level before we see the 3%. But there would be more people that that would tell you 3% than 5%, but I'll take the other side.
1: All right. That's on the record, and uh, not only will I remember it, but our next speaker will remember it as well. So, thanks a lot, Earl. Uh, Now we're going to Brian, uh, Chief Investment Strategist for BMO. Uh, Brian has been uh, right in terms of the the uh, direction of the market since uh, I think 2010, maybe 2009, Uh, and uh, he's a long term guy. He's always been optimistic on the markets. And uh, I guess the first question to you, Brian, are you still optimistic? Well, Dave. And welcome. And welcome.
4: Oh, oh my gosh. What an honor. I I must say that you are my favorite U.S. (laughs) bank CEO. Let me just say that. Um, Thank you so much. Um, Our call remains resolute, Dave. It's not that I'm stubborn. I believe it. And eight out of ten years historically, the stock market is is positive. So we'll take those odds. Number one, number two, we still think the U.S. stock market is in the midst of a big twenty five secular twenty five year secular bull market. And when you go back and look at history, uh, you actually have seen several secular bear markets. I'm sorry, secular bull markets where you can have down years or you can have a flat year. And through this secular bull Dave, that we think started in 2009, Uh, we've had flat years and we've had uh, three negative years. So 2018, 2020, and 2022. And if you go back to um, the 1930s, there's only been three periods in the history of the markets, three, where we've had consecutive negative years. Uh, 1938, 39, and 40, uh, 1973 and 74, in um, 2000, 2001, and 2002. So what are the parallels, Dave? What are the parallels to those three? Crisis. We, uh, America was in crisis. First, we had the Depression going into World War II. Then we had the oil embargo double-dip recession. Then, obviously, we had the CapEx-led recession, thanks to tech. And then, of course, the, the terrible uh, occurrence of 9-11, which um, caused an even even deeper recession. I don't think we have a crisis right now. I don't. Um, and yeah, I think you can either be bitter or you can be better. And so let's, get, let's be better. And I think the U.S. stock market is uh, amazingly resilient. You talked about in the beginning of the call, January was good. February was bad. It's been a little bit Charles Dickens. The best of times, worst of times. Um, I think investors should get used to that. Uh, so what do I mean by that? So other people on the call are talking about their pedigree. I wrote my very first research report in 1989 uh, when I was about six years old. And, um, you know, I've seen a lot in my in my career, been very blessed, been doing this for a long time. And one of my very first mentors on Wall Street used to tell me there's always something going on. There's always something interesting going on that hasn't changed. I think has changed is the binary nature, Dave, of how people are trading their accounts and looking at investments, not long term, more short term, very reactionary. Uh, In looking at macro statistics, again, no no disrespect to the two prior speakers, but it's time for fundamentals to lead. And I still believe that the U.S. stock market is the best equity asset in the world, period. I live by this rule that stocks lead earnings, which lead the economy. I believe that there's so many people focused on trying to figure out the Fed and figure out the economy. Um, I, I think it's really, really difficult. And when it's difficult... You default to quality. And so I really tend to want to be in more like value stocks, small mid-cap stocks, uh, quality stocks, and growth at a reasonable price. The the market environment we think that we're heading into for the next three to five years, no, we haven't used the term yet on this call yet, is normalizing, normalizing. So in Earl's world, uh, the average 10-year treasury uh, since 1979 is 5.8%. The average 10-year treasury, um, if, you include, um, if you don't include the financial crisis, is 7.6%. Uh, the average 10-year treasury since the financial crisis is 2.4%, Dave. Um, if you've only been in the business since 2009 or 2010, what we have now is, of course, higher interest rates, but we're normalizing. So we can normalize interest rates. We're going to normalize valuations. We're going to normalize earnings growth to kind of single-digit earnings growth, high double-digit uh, performance in the stock market. So kind of back to the 80s, a great decade of, uh, of Packer teams, not really, uh, um, not great biking teams either, uh, better Minnesota Twins teams. Um, but it was a period where where fundamentals led and we had different sector dynamics. From a sector perspective, Dave, we love financials in Canada and the United States, and we still believe that Canadian financials are the most excellent stewards of capital in the world. We do a great job in Canada and the Canadian banks with respect to paying dividends and, and, and buying back stock, but managing our businesses. In Canada, we also like the material sector. We love gold, uh, and we love communication services in both areas. In the United States, we'd like more of the growthier areas like Netflix and Google within the communication services. Uh, but we think the communication services sector in the United States is the quintessential barbell, meaning growth and value in that sector. Lastly, we like healthcare. Healthcare had a great year last year. Um, there's also a lot of great value uh, dynamics within healthcare. And then I'd say, lastly, don't abandon tech stocks. Don't abandon tech stocks. Just be much more selective. You don't have to own everything. Just be very selective and own kind of what we like to call the consumer staplish. Type tech that have great earnings that are that are leaders in the marketplace, um, and that are important not only dividend grow growers over time, uh, but very strong earnings growers. So, our year-end target is forty-three hundred. That's our base case. Uh, earnings are going to be down five percent. Uh, that's much less than what everybody else thinks, given where cash flow is and operating performance uh, of of companies in the United States. We don't see the earnings recession, like everyone's scaring everybody because they're looking at the index level. And I'll leave you with this, Dave. Remember, the stock market is a market of stocks. Okay, So many people out there are so focused on what the S&P 500 is doing or the Dow Jones Industrial Average. And like you said amazingly in the beginning, okay, you hear in the financial press about recessions or inflation. Every company is different. Every company is different. Every industry is different. Every sector is different. And that's why you have to really focus on the stock market. Is a market of stocks default to value and look for positive returns ahead. And with that, Mister Casper, back to you.
1: Hey, uh, thank you, Brian, and uh, thank you for that shameless plug on Canadian bank stocks. <laughs> and we've got a lot of questions. People are asking, "Is he really only 38 years old?" <laughs> and, and wrote your first. So, uh, so let me uh, before I turn it over to every to uh, uh, other questions. Um, I hear a lot lately. You touched on it. the The market has been pretty up and down, and you've got a call of forty three hundred. Is that what you said? Yep. Um But you know, it could be it could be thirty eight, could be thirty five. You don't know. Um, what do you say to people who say, "Hey, I can get, I can just wait this out and get almost five percent with a two year?" Brian, I know you're optimistic, but you got it's a twenty-five year bull. Why do I have to like take my lumps? Why can't I just time
4: this? <laughs> well, no one can time the market, uh, <laughs> and that's why you have to be a long-term investor and have a great relationship manager. And I would say this: I, I think you know one of the one of the things that frustrates me the most is that we we in the in the investment world love to pick on the stock market, but the bond market had a forty-year bull market and it was very contemptuous and very frothy. And I think if if Earl's right. Um, and and we're gonna be at higher levels and then go down, then it actually probably should have a mixture of treasuries. Uh, and this whole notion of 60-40 becomes a lot more relevant, Dave, to have that with respect to a much more diversified portfolio. Again, we always think in the investment world of we're only stocks, we're only bonds. I think we're entering a period, quite frankly, much like the 80s and much like the early 90s, if you remember what happened in 94 and 95 where you could have own both stocks and bonds together, and they actually, from a total return proposal, work very well together. So I think we're entering one of those periods again.
1: Great, thank you. You guys have been great. I think our time is up. I can't thank you enough. I thank all of our clients and our employees and uh, anyone else that's on this call for joining it. And uh, we'll be watching carefully. This was taped, so we'll keep track of what you guys said. And uh, it's been my pleasure to be with all of you. So thank you very much.
0: Thanks for listening. You can follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. For more episodes, visit bmocm.comslash markets plus. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbit Burns Inc., and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO. For full legal disclosure, please visit bmocm.com slash legal. To access our full disclosures for equity research reports, please visit com slash public dash disclosure slash.